0: Welcome to the Reagan Red Zone. We're thrilled you've joined us. I'm Webb Millward. With us today is Kevin Stipe, our CEO, and Harrison Brooks, a partner with a firm. Guys, we're here today to give the highlights of the year, to offer a few trends impacting the brokerage space, and make a few observations about what firms can expect in 2024. But we're also here to turn metrics into action, to help your firm put some points on the board, and continue to win in the marketplace. Now, as a quick backdrop, our firm for 15 years has been measuring industry's performance, specifically measuring organic growth and profitability. We do this every quarter by collecting data through our Growth and Profitability Survey, which we refer to as GPS. GPS offers a real-time look at the key drivers of value creation in the industry. Again, organic growth and profitability. GPS essentially measures your firm's performance against the best of the best in the industry. So, guys, turning to you, if you think about the past year from a growth perspective, organic growth at an all time high, we're experiencing record levels of profitability. But what's not being talked about out there in the industry?
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take it. And, um I think the big the big storyline that we're seeing right now is uh, not commercial lines. That's that grabs the headlines, right? Growing in double digits organically. It's benefits and personal lines, and what we're seeing happening in the air. And so I want to start with benefits and kind of get kept reaction to what's happening in the benefits world. It's not talked about a lot. The typical agency's revenues: ten percent of the revenues are personal lines, thirty percent is benefits. And then the other 60 is commercial lines. So let's talk about the other 40%. And, and Webb, you do realize that we have Kevin Stipe here join us. One, we had to explain what a podcast was to him. So this is a big step for him. Two, two two-time econ club president at Auburn University. Thank
2: you for finally writing I think, I
1: think two-time club champion, president of the econ club, self-proclaimed Kevin Stein, what do you think what's going on at Benefits?
2: I think Benefits is the big forgotten line of business. And, and maybe for good reason. Over the last three years, it used to be the line of business that outpaced the others over the last three years. It's actually been the third, finishing third out of commercial, personal and, and Benefits. And you know, there's some reasons for that that are, are worth talking about because we've spent some time digging into this. Why is Benefits growing at 6% when the other uh, commercial and personal are both growing in the double digits, what's going on in, in employee benefits. And and so we've dug into the, the, the some of the stories behind the numbers and some of what's going on in the industry. And if you go to the Kaiser Family Foundation, this is the, probably the best source of data. We can link this somehow to, to this podcast. Um, they've got some really interesting stats in there. and And one of them is for the last 10 years, benefits inflation which is the cost of employer health care plans has actually been growing at a level below 5% for 10 years and so it's been a little bit like a soft commercial pnc market for benefits brokers who are sure. you know getting a commission on these plans and so there's been a slowing of growth now in the last 12 months that numbers begun to inch back up to back- about 7% this year and may go higher in the future but that's been an issue and then Beneath that, I think there's another issue that's that's a little bit more quiet and not as well known. And that is that there are employers, a growing number of employers that are leaving the employer-sponsored uh, uh, exchanges. Well, not the exchanges, but they're, they're stopping providing employer-sponsored health care by giving their employees some money and letting them go buy something out of the exchange. This isn't a big issue. But especially among smaller employers, like those with under 50 lives, and then really like those under 25 lives, it's been a growing phenomenon where maybe half of them used to provide employer health care plans, and now it's something like 40%. So it's going down, and I think that's pulling some of the dollars out of the system that would otherwise be there for
1: brokers to enjoy. So Kevin, first question. Then seven percent you referenced for benefits growth, right? We've seen the dip. It was kind of seven percent in two thousand nineteen. Dipped down during COVID. It's coming back. How long do you think that sustains the seven percent? I mean, as brokers think about this, is thirty percent of their business? Is this something they want to be all in on, all out? Well, the kind of how do you think about Harrison? The the funny thing for brokers is on one hand they kind of cheer for
2: higher premiums there because that means greater revenue. On the other hand. If we get back to double digit healthcare inflation, that's just going to mean more firms are going to opt out of the system and go to the government uh sponsored healthcare programs. And you know, let me let me say a little something. I mean, Webb, we are from kind of more of a similar generation Harrison. Oh, if you is feel that one way. Of these sure. Millennials um
0: he Harrison, I'm going to
2: challenge you to do a little bit better job with your age bracket because their desire for a national health care program and for paid college tuition and for socialism in general is just a little bit higher than perhaps our generation's so, a little disrespect for capitalism. So if you yeah, he just you called you a
0: socialist. A little, I think. Yeah, he
2: did. I yeah. Think I'm going to
0: give you that. plenty of time to yeah.
2: you could do a little more work with folks to maybe preach the virtues of capitalism, something that an old econ club president two timer yeah. can do. I'd appreciate it.
1: Well, I, Kevin, uh, as a capitalist benefits has a 15% profit margin, whereas other lines of business, you know, commercial lines, personal lines included have a 25% profit margin. So my question to you to kind of close the, the chapter on benefits, if you're an agency owner, are you doubling down on benefits or are you pulling back? Cause at you know, at a 7% growth rate with a 15% profit margin, that doesn't feel great as compared to other places you can invest in your business. Well, let me,
2: let me start, uh, great question. Let me start by saying this. You're, you're right about the margins. It's the lowest margin that we've seen maybe in any class of business in our survey. It's, it's, it's tough on the benefit side right now. That's a function of slower growth, but I think it's also a function of what's going on there. I think, I think as, as, as agencies have leaned into the benefit space sure. and especially all kind of gone after the larger groups, There's been an arms race of resources that they've been investing in, and those are costly resources. And you you talk to brokers, and sometimes they've got two or three or four different resources maybe they're not even using. And so there's there's a shakeout that needs to occur there, and they need to get more profitable. But you can't exit the benefit space. I mean, that is such a natural um, uh, cross-sell. Uh, To commercial PNC clients that I think brokers need to stay in that business. My recommendation at this point would be lean in even more heavily, double down and hire real door kicking producers. I think the problem that benefits had a decade ago is that it was growing naturally like a hard market in PNC. And so agents and brokers went to more of a technical hire model, and they didn't necessarily get the same level of aggressive, offensive-minded producers that you had on the PNC side. And so today, I think some of them suffer from a little bit of a lack of a sales culture on the benefit side, but that's correctable.
0: I would agree with that. I think in the advent of the Affordable Care Act, if you go back to 2010, 2011, there was a huge shift to, we have to be more consultative. We have to have technical expertise. You've got... Benefits producers across the country pouring over every page of that legislation to make sure that they could adequately advise their clients on it and doing so became really, really technically sound, probably outpacing their PNC peers. And now you're seeing the reverse happen where uh, they all want to move up market and you need real production talent to do that.
1: Yeah. So so let me let me transition us to personal lines. So I want to move from benefits, kind of talk about personal lines. 10% of a typical agency's revenues and I'm not just talking about everyone as you, let me set the stage for personalized unbelievable growth this year 10% organic growth in personalized to put that in historical context right that's a 2 to 3% organic growth growing line of business by the way at 28% profit margins so if you've got a large book of personalized business as a business owner right now you're feeling great and this is inflating i think margins in general which we can talk about later but Kevin, I'm not just talking about high net worth personal lines, which I know you were very familiar with, you know, as a high net worth individual yourself, and you you're one of the fi- sure. finer things in life. Sure. So he gets it. So I'm talking, spokesperson to- for two. I'm, talking I'm talking about Main Street business like you and I would sure, yeah. purchase. Pet our, insurance. Yeah, pet insurance for our homes, yeah, for our cats. So <laughs> um but but truly Kevin, I mean get I want to get your reaction to what's happening in the personal lines market because when you look at the Our organic growth and profitability survey, when you look at the highest organic growth rates by state, I'm going to give you some here. These are all 15 plus percent organic growth personal lines by state. Got to be all the coastal states. No, Colorado, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas. So there are some coastals mixed in there, but also some some random ones there. And a lot of that, I think, is being driven by the cat losses that we're seeing in 2022. And you hear this from carriers, right? And it's it's the predictability of this is really hard. And then we also have the cat loss. But we also have inflation that's going on. And so you know we saw what inflation did with Fed raising rates this past year. So economic inflation, and then you know that's it's not just economic inflation either. We've got social inflation as well.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I mean probably twenty miles from here, there was a thirty-two and a half million dollar judgment against a community. Uh, for leaving a planter on the side of the road, and uh, and and the, the the magnitude of that lawsuit, and how that kind of popped the eyes out of a lot of carriers who are in personal lines, was like holy cow! Mm-hmm. Uh, communities, cities used to be like sovereign; they didn't they didn't necessarily have to or uh, immune uh, from from lawsuits like that. Um, so we've got we've got social inflation going on. I think this is a bit of a mirage, though. I think I think we are going to have a hard market in personal lines for a while, while maybe maybe some of this stuff gets reset. But if you actually step back and look at how brokers have been dealing with this line of business, if you go back over several best practices studies and look at the number of personal lines producers in firms today, it's actually less than it was ten years ago. So right, say, say that again. Yeah personal lines producers, dedicated producers that are trying to, to build write personal lines, stuff. frequently high net worth, but not always. Which you There's like. less of them. <laughs> Thank you. There are less of them in the best practices firms today than there were 10 years ago. Yeah. And so this, this sudden growth rate of 10% is not coming from brokers leaning in and strategically building this as much as it's just, oh, wow, we caught an updraft in pricing. Let's enjoy it while we Could can. there also
0: be a factor of, of leveraging technology and digital platforms or just no. being more efficient or no. it's just the market? <laughs> no, I no, I'm no, serious. No, I don't. You hear so much about that. I, I just... think
1: there are, I mean, th- we could name, I mean, there are firms that have been started in the past two years that are strictly built around a personal lines model and in infusing technology and partnering that with personal lines with the thesis that we can grow that business faster, operate it more efficiently, I still think that's a long-term play when you look at the personalized market. And right now, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, it's you've got a couple service people inside of these organizations that are handling a large portion of this personalized business. And right now, they are feeling the pressure inside of these organizations. If you're an owner, it's great from, from a bottom line and top line revenue growth perspective. But I don't know if it's sustainable. And so that would kind of be my rallying cry to agents and brokers to say like, truly look at your personalized department and talk to folks and make some investments there. Because I, I agree, I don't think we're gonna sustain 10% organic growth into perpetuity in the future in this line of business. But for the next two to three years, I think we have some pretty good line of sight into high growth high margins, and that business is sticky. And so um, I, I would like to see agents and brokers lean into that more and Agreed. you know, and, and to kind of move back. To so that. to put you guys on the
0: spot, if you had to pick one right now between benefits and personal lines, you could double down, as you said, your investment in one yeah. and maybe even go so as extreme to divest in the other. Which horse are you riding in the next year, in the next five years?
1: As I take a sip of water, Kevin. Big gold, yeah, big big gold. uh,
2: Peer penetrating question. I I think it's a faulty question. Uh, I'm not divesting either of them. I think they're so tightly connected. I I, I don't think you want to divest. I think instead you want to lean in. I think you want to lean in harder to benefits than PNC because I do think that benefits has uh, some some just real good upside in terms of the overall cross-sell and the integration of your 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 business clients across the whole
1: spectrum. I think you, an agency just has to be really honest with themselves in terms of their sophistication and where they're at as an organization. If they they dabble a little bit in benefits right now, I think it's going to be tough to make that jump to be all in on benefits, to your point, Kevin. But I, I don't think it's, you know, commercial lines to personal lines is not that large of a jump. And I, I think that could be an easier transition. So if I'm an agency owner, I might be looking at it in the near term, making some personal lines investments, because I think we do have some positive tailwinds in that line of business. But so let, let, let's transition. We're talking about margins being higher. Right. And a lot of that's been driven by personal lines um, and, you know, growth in commercial lines, you know, with those two segments of business generating higher margins and, and benefits Kevin, what's your take on where margins are right now for agencies?
2: Well, it, it's pretty amazing. We, 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 the, the years
1: leading up to COVID,
2: we yeah. hit a new record of sustained 20% EBITDA margins for brokers. That was like 2015 to 2019. And then in 2020, COVID hits. Everybody's kind of freaking out about where the world is going. Lo and behold, we get to the end of 20, the end of 21, we've set new records for profitability. It made sense at that point. There was a piece dividend around selling expenses and some of the other expenses. So we hit this new higher level. And then the question, of course, was how long is it going to take to come back? Well, guess what? We are setting a new all-time record this year in 2023. Uh, of 25% projected for year end. It would be five points higher than the previous high level that we So set. every dollar revenue, 25 cents to the bottom line in profit. That's it. And, and, and the question is, is this good? Do we want this? Is, how is this happening? If you look underneath it, the big mover is commercial lines. I mean, with the growth that we're having in commercial lines right now, There was a point where commercial lines margins were in the teens and now they're they're well into the 20s. And I think that's because of the hard market. Um, Where does this go? It doesn't seem like this level is going to be sustained by the industry. I think this is a temporary thing. And, and candidly, in some respects, I don't think it's all that healthy. The, the thing that I worry about, and look, you could generate a 30 or 35% margin in an agency, especially one that's specialized. Oh, so easily, This yeah. isn't a broad statement across, but I would just challenge any agency principal today in light of some of the staff pressures that you're feeling, and you, and I hear a lot of anecdotal stories about staff being kind of redlining in terms of, sure. of, of the work intensity and the staffing levels, that it, it may be that when we're maxing organic growth and we're maxing margins at the same time, we're hitting all-time record uh, returns for brokers. That may be the time to not borrow against your future by harvesting those returns, but ra- rather taking that excess EBITDA that you've got relative to five years ago
1: and reinvesting that more in future growth. Yeah, and, and in in that data, we're typically seeing you know those higher margins being driven by lower occupancy expense, that's, selling that's and advertising occupancy is really in
2: selling expense and benefits expense. And benefits. Those are the two places. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I think you know, as you think about that excess profitability, if you will, excess, I mean, the question then goes to, okay, what do you do with it? Right. Where do you, where do you make that investment? And I was looking at um, the percent of investment that agencies make in new producers. So, Hey, if I'm, if I'm a new producer making a hundred grand and I'm making that salary, I'm just starting out. That's an investment in a new producer. I've not produced a single dollar of new business and taking that investment as a percentage of your revenues and, and investing that in more producers, you know, kind of and bringing down that margin in the short term for long term kind of gains. Because if you look at the Reagan value index, 35 firms or so we appraise on an annual basis, that percentage investment in new producers has dropped basically almost a whole percentage point from two and a half percent of revenue being invested in new producers down to about one and a half, 1.6 percent. That's a staggering number if you think about just over a three year period. Now, you could argue 35 firms that you're appraising. Is that a large enough data set? Regardless, I think it does highlight a trend that we all have to be aware of because if we if the music stops, the rate environment changes, the hard market on the PNC side. Not if, but if, when but when yeah. fair. No, but uh, you not, know, but if, if it stops. And, you know, we haven't been hiring new producers. It's pretty simple. I mean, we're going to fill some pretty significant headwinds and, you know, inflation reverses in what we're seeing in the overall economy. And so I think that's just as we're thinking about right now, agencies taking a hard look at you know, what, what does that investment in their new producers look like?
0: To you, is that your most important KPI firm should follow? If I took organic growth off the table, everybody knows that growth is the key to so many things. Would you put that investment in invalidated producers as kind of your close second KPI to watch?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, for sure. I think it's not just the dollar and aggregate spend, but it's how it's being spent. Kevin, I think back to eight years ago, when I first started at Reagan, we were doing a planning session for a client and, and uh, eight years ago, what, what were you like 12? 12 12, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yep. Exactly. Kevin still interning. So it's going well at the firm. i really enjoying my time here at Reagan and hoping for a full-time position. Um, but <laughs> I remember stepping out into the hallway in that planning session and us looking at their numbers and be like, this is not good. This firm is not going to make it. They're not going to be able to remain privately held because they haven't earned the right to, they don't have a healthy operation. They're not executing. And I remember you looking at their their sales velocity, which is, you know, which we can go into and define in a second, but it's their new business. Where was it coming from? Essentially, where was their new business coming from? And they had a very small number of new business web, but it was all coming from folks that were under the age of thirty-five. Hmm. So, um, you know, that socialist generation that Kevin referenced Pain is a better picture, right? We're we're actually producing and, and helping drive the organization. Well, yeah, because
0: they're more collaborative, right? Right. More enjoyable to work with. Not as curmudgeoning Yeah. Know sure. sure. how to
1: log into a computer and everything yeah. else. From, you know, All right, but, keep going. But, <laughs> but 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 they that investment though totally changed that organization. We went back in that room and talked to them and said, "Hey, tell us about this this right here." Yeah. And yeah, and, and then that. F- five years later, that, that firm was one of the top performing firms in their size that's category. Right. And it changed everything, right? So, I mean, this business is not overly complicated when you think about it. I mean, it does have complexity to it. But but yeah, that's for sure what I would look at.
0: Great. Well, it's time to punch it in the end zone here with our two-minute drill. So we're going to shift to kind of a lightning round segment here. Let's talk big storylines headed into next year and what firms can expect. But let's take it a different, a different tact. What are our clients talking about right now? What are you hearing about out in the industry? What are they asking about? What are they following?
1: Yeah, I'll jump in. I, the biggest thing, I think I, one of the questions I always get, so I think it needs to be addressed, is is one of these aggregators or is a firm that has had hyper M&A activity over the past three to five years, are they going to blow up? Is their capital structure going to be able to sustain the Fed raising interest rates as quickly as they've raised them? And there's a lot of people speculating on that. And really the short answer here is no, I don't think they're gonna blow up. I think that their capital structures um, are in a good place. There's a lot of sophisticated investors behind them. We have a, we've talked about it. We have a hard market on the PNC side that's giving great tailwinds for these organizations. and we have, uh, we, we, we have what looks like a pretty stable economic picture. And so I don't think you're going to see any of those organizations blow up per se. Um, and so just to kind of dispel that rumor. So I think what we'll see on an m and side, you might have lower levels of m um, and And those mm-hmm. firms might not, doing as, might not be doing as many deals, but I don't think they're going to pull back. They're going to focus on integration and running their businesses to operate more efficiently. Um, but I don't think anyone blows up per se.
2: It felt a little bit like a quarterback sneak that was thwarted at the goal line, but I'll give it a shot. Um, valuation. I think valuation is what, what everybody has on their minds, whether it's publicly traded or privately held. Everybody's looking at that and they're looking at the MA marketplace to try to get a handle on wh- where things are going. The M&A marketplace is pretty interesting. It, we did a thousand deals in our industry two years ago in 2021, and it fell last year. It, Falling again this year, and this year we're going to do less than 500. So it's going to be down by 50% in two yeah, years. Started. You would look at that and you would say, no question, valuations got to go down if that happens. And uh, and what are we seeing? We're seeing valuations not go down. Yep. They're staying stable. And the reason for that is that, uh, that the, while the number of buyers has gone down a little bit because of some of the tensions among yep. capital providers, they haven't gone down in numbers enough to really change the the seller-friendly dynamics out there. And so valuations have stayed stable and that trickles down from M&A down to private agency uh, uh, brokerage valuations. The the key thing to keep an eye on, if you want to get ahead of where things are going valuation-wise is the public broker stock valuations and they really haven't changed. And there's a trickle-down effect from those That's what people can afford to pay for agencies. PE firms benchmark themselves against those valuations. And public broker, even to multiples, are 16 or higher now. They've been that way for a few years. Doesn't seem to be changing. And as long as those stay where they are, I don't think we're going to see a significant change in in agency
1: value. Yeah, I think we'll see some big deals next year, too. Uh, I think we are see some big deals at the valuations that are out there. I think people are going to take that opportunity to reset their capital stack. But what do you think? What would you say? Yeah, for
0: me, it's equity expansion, Uh, equity expansion with regard to recruiting and retaining talent. I think firms are taking this issue really seriously right now. I think they're asking themselves, is our ownership structure evolving and expanding at the right clip and in the right ways? to fuel growth and to ensure perpetuation long-term. I think the best firms out there are really taking a hard look at this. And for the first time, being willing and open to making some changes to their ownership structure, inviting more to the table. And I think they're doing that because proven and experienced employees, not just producers, employees across the board, proven and experienced are asking these questions. They want equity. They want incentive plans. They want opportunity beyond just their salary or their commission splits.
2: And they're being offered those things by rivals.
0: That's right. And I think it's interesting. We've talked a lot about growth and what a great year it's been from a performance standpoint. You'd think our firms and our clients would be enjoying the ride right now. And the reason I don't think they are as much is because they're intensely focused on solving this problem. How are we going to address top talent? How are we going to structure ourselves, not just for three to five year growth, but for 20, 50 year growth? really to be in the game long-term as a privately held organization. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on that. Great. Anyone got a Hail Mary they want to throw in last minute here?
1: No Hail Marys.
0: (laughs) Great. Good stuff. Great. Well, to wrap up for for the listeners out there, if you like what you heard and you want to participate in GPS, it's free. It's a custom report. We'd love to have you participate each quarter. Uh, You can see the link in the notes. You can go to the QR code there or just send us an email. We'd be happy to engage and happy to show you how to participate. But with that, thank you for the time. Thanks for joining us and uh, bring on 2024.